Welcome to APWLD's podcast series Ratify C190 focusing on gender-based violence at workplaces and the need for ratification of ILO Convention 190 across Asia and the Pacific. Women workers including essential workers, informal sector workers, home-based workers, freelancers, unpaid homemakers and caregivers and migrant workers all face different forms of gender-based violence at their workplaces through a series of interviews with these women workers activists trade unionists and women human rights defenders this podcast series will explore the experiences and impact of gender-based violence these women face as well as their fight and demand for ratification of C190 in their countries In this episode we are speaking with Daisy Arago of APWLD member organization Center for Trade Union and Human Rights Philippines Hi Daisy can you introduce yourself to our listeners Yeah my name is Daisy Arago As Neha had said, I'm a long-time labor rights activist in the Philippines. I am the currently the executive director of the Center for Trade Union and Human Rights. Thank you so much for joining us, Daisy. I want to dive right into this issue of uh, ratification of C190 and gender-based violence that women workers face. Uh, and I wanted to get your perspective. Can you share with us gender-based violence and sexual harassment in the workplace looks like? And I also wanted to ask: Is there any link between uh, gender-based violence and precarious jobs? Yeah, definitely there is a link between gender-based violence and precarious jobs. But before that, I would say that GBV or gender-based violence takes the different phases. and forms in the workplace and outside the workplaces in the workplace uh, it could be economic it means an equal way an equal pay or equal wage or absence of social protection for women or those members of lgbt iq plus because sim- simply because they are women or members of different gender or, or different gender orientation Culturally, there is a prevailing culture of fear or gender division of labor, and sexual harassment are perpetrated by two, by uh, normally by colleagues or by employers or by the state forces, and they are uh, least protected. And politically, women are not represented. Men are speaking on behalf of women in all political, whether it's representation. decision making or others so uh, and women are relegated to informal jobs or informal economy and many women who are working are relegated to disposable jobs which is also tatawan or equivalent to precarious jobs they are easily laid, laid off with lesser pay lesser protection and so there is a definitely a link between Thank you so much for sharing that, Daisy. And I wanted to ask you, um, 
Are there any particular sectors or particular countries or sub-regions where women workers are exposed to GVB or gender-based violence much more? Uh, I think if we use the FBAR or the Feminist Participatory Action Research of, AB, of APWLD and previous studies, we can say that women and LGBTQI uh, IQ plus uh, dominant industries are garments and electronics or special economic zones where there are 75 to 85 percent are women and they experience mostly in garment workers and culture plays a very important role in mostly states are protective of the locators not the workers including women and uh, culturally, even if they, and women cannot complain because culturally women are look, uh, looked down upon by employers, by the state or by the society. Some regions, uh, especially in the South, sorry about that, uh, they have reported the many cases on their way, on their way to work while they're working and after working. So outside, within the economic zones, for example, in countries like in South of South Asia, for example, or in some Muslim-dominated uh, societies, example, or it's equivalent to male-dominated societies. Thank you so much for highlighting that, Daisy. And I was wondering how significantly uh, does gender-based violence at workplace prevents uh, women workers from enjoying their basic human rights? And are there any psychological, economic, and social effects of gender-based violence on women workers? Uh, it's very significant because I have said, like I have said, culturally, it reinforces the culture of fear by victims of uh, gender-based violence meaning only the workplace, but also domestically in their homes. Uh, victims are usually withdrawn and blaming themselves for the absence and for the violence that took place within and outside the workplaces, but within the economic zone, for example. Or domestically, they are withdrawn from their children. Even it's a cause for quarrel between women and husbands. And husbands also look after, uh, look down upon their wives or women in, in the base. So they are withdrawn on that. And in the economically, they are also can focus on work if they are victims of GDP, meaning they have economically, the employers, uh, it reinforces the notion that they, they receive lower wages than male because of lower productivity. But actually, rather than asking if they are victims of GBB or gender-based violence, they receive lesser pay without protection or lesser benefits than their male colleagues or male counterparts in the economic zone, for instance. Thank you so much for highlighting this, Daisy. And I wanted to ask, really, how significantly is gender-based violence at workplace preventing women from enjoying their basic human rights? I would like to emphasize that wages are, are basic rights of, 
all workers, regardless of gender. I mean, the minimum that they have to receive are the prevailing uh, minimum wage. But actually, or universally or globally, they should be receiving a wage enough for themselves and enough for their children or families, meaning living wage. It's not a hand-to-mouth uh, kind of existence. So wage is one of the measurements that we will try. Mostly women are also do not enjoy the right to organize. That's one thing, which is right to organize the basic rights. It's a fundamental right that's enshrined in the, not only in the universal declaration of human rights, but even it's internationally accepted fundamental right. And many of those unorganized women cannot assert their protection in terms of sexual harassment, or other other kinds of violations in the workplace because simply they are not organized or their culture doesn't allow them to be organized whether in unions or in associations. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daisy. And I just wanted to ask a little bit more about what sort of connections do we see between patriarchy and globalization, uh, especially because these are, these are systemic issues that are also causing a lot of these, these problems. Globalization is based on cheap labor and based on a long queue of unemployed and most of the unemployed are 50% are women and mostly on the informal economy, which is on distribution products and et cetera, et cetera. So patriarchy or male dominance in our society also exploit that women are out of work. So in most economic zone, if you observe, they're mostly women. And globalization and economic zone characteristics are cheap labor, where workers, including women, are not organized. They banned organizations or unions or other forms of organization. And, wait, and they only concern of earning profits and like that. And most of them are women. So they exploit the silence of women. Uh, reinforced by patriarchy and mean the culture within and outside the workplaces, even domestically. So the lesser the women asserts their protection, the the better for globalization to work in in their favor as and against our favor, against against our interest. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daisy. I wanted to zoom out a little bit and I wanted to ask you essentially like what are the drivers of gender-based violence in the workplace? Thank you, Nia. Be, uh, as I have said before, uh, and also proven by feminist participatory action research is that patriarchy fits on globalization. Is it patriarchy strengthens globalization which until now is based on stereotype or gender-based division of work. Women are mostly relegated to the more meticulous process of production, especially in manufacturing. For example, uh, in special economic zone, they are mostly in garments electron and electronics or service, 
where 75 or 85% of economic zone workforce are women, and they are exposed to different kinds of realities, including sexual harassment by three, three forces. Uh, what I mean by three forces, the state, because uh, there are zones, economic zones, which are provided by securities of the state. The other is from their male colleagues. And the other, uh, other force is from the, those male who represent the employers. So in somehow, and many of, unfortunately, many of the globalization is based on uh, where wages are cheap, especially in the countries of the South. Drivers uh, of gender-based, many women, especially as I have said, those in society where women are looked down upon and there's no law or mechanism protecting women. Many are using the culture or patriarchal culture to dominate women, including to harass women, even inside or outside the workplaces. But uh, or after work. So divers can be, they are using the culture. And I think one of the reasons that, as I've said, there is no law or mechanism that protects women. So, and women also, because of the culture, uh, mostly they are fearful to lose, of, to lose their jobs. So they don't assert their right. Uh, to get protection from the from the state. So Daisy, can you share uh, what are the major challenges in ending gender-based violence at the workplace? Challenges. There are so many challenges, but the biggest one is that one is we see that organization of workers are declining, I mean reducing, and women are also not organized especially in, in countries like ours in the South. I mean, there are a union, few unions. And uh, I think the biggest challenge how women workers and unions will assert or organize, mobilize against gender-based violence. And I wanted to ask you, you know, despite all of these challenges that you've listed and all of the systemic issues that exist, if we think about the future and what that looks like, I want to ask you, as a feminist and labor rights activist, what are your recommendations and next steps to systematically end gender-based violence at workplace? How to end? Uh, I think the ILO, although it uh, many years to formulate the Convention 190 is a positive thing. So that's one step forward. And what we need to do is for our countries to ratify the Convention. Yeah, that's the second step. And I think the third step is that it should be incorporated or incorporated in national law if there is no or no existent law on that. If there's no law against uh, sexual harassment, for example, then you have to formulate it. And it's a combination of both uh, legal 
and what we call locally as legal. It means that women workers, especially women workers, and unions should advocate or should campaign against one. Uh, first, they have to be organized. They should mobilize while there is a hearing. If there's no law, there should campaign for a new law that will protect against gender-based violence. And combining the pressure, I mean, they should be pressure. I mean, women workers cannot do it alone. They should collaborate with other social movements, including the union. And both of them share the same demand of ending gender-based violence. It will benefit the union. And it starts with also from uh, education. I mean, they should educate uh, first the union members and then also the public. So they can gain support from the public in terms of ending the gender-based violence, not only the workers, but other sectors as well. Daisy, I want to thank you so much for sharing these excellent strategies for cross-movement solidarity and public support uh, to push our governments to ratify C-190. Thank you, Neha. Thank you, APWLD. And hopefully, states will ratify C-190 now. Thank you for listening to Ratify C-190 podcast series on gender-based violence in workplaces and the need for ratification of ILO Convention 190. APWLD is the leading network of feminist organizations and individual activists in Asia and the Pacific. Our 266 members represent groups of diverse women from 30 countries in the region. Over the past 35 years, APWLD has actively worked towards advancing women's human rights and development justice. To know more about this podcast series, please visit our website at www.apwld.org. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, please feel free to write to us at apwld at the rate apwld.org. You can also follow and connect with us on our social media channels. Find us on Facebook at apwld.ngo, Twitter at apwld, and Instagram at apwld underscore. This is your host Neha and thank you for joining us today.